Hello and welcome to the E-Team Podcast. These are conversations with ministry and marketplace leaders from across the country that provide insight and encouragement. For more information about this podcast and any and all resources provided by the E-Team, please visit us at eTeam-inc.com. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the E-Team podcast. These are conversations with ministry and marketplace leaders from across the country, and uh, I am excited to introduce our guest uh, today. He is an author and a lead pastor of the Church of Hampton Roads in Hampton, Virginia. And this is a gentleman that I just got to know here recently over the past several weeks. And, and Joe, I just want to thank you for taking time um, to, to, to talk to us today and just kind of share what God is doing in your heart. And, and so I just want to uh, introduce everyone to Mr. Joel Brown. How are you doing? Man, I'm doing great today. <laughs> it's good, man. Well, you guys can't see it, but this is one good looking dude, man. Like he is just, I mean, he is, he's a good looking dude. Whatever, and, man. <laughs> uh, but unfortunately this is the audio version. And so you guys can't see him today, but, um, but no, Joel, tell us a little bit about you, your background, your story, and kind of what led you to Virginia, because I know a little bit of your story. I mean, Virginia wasn't really in the cards early on. It was not in the cards. I was, I was originally born in New Orleans, and my parents were missionaries, so we spent most of my childhood in Lima, Peru, and Port-au-Prince, Haiti, uh, five and a half years on, on the mission field. My parents actually relocated back to northwest Arkansas. He took a associate pastor position at a local church, and that's where that was the time frame I met my wife. We got married in 96, a great year, and started having kids pretty quickly after that. I mean, she was hot. I mean, come on, man. You just, like, listen, man, you know, I'm a pastor, but I'm, I'm human, man. It's like, I like you. And so, uh, you know, Hannah was our first child, and uh, so she's 23 now, and uh, Bethany is 20, and Josiah is 18, so we have three kids. And we spent 22 years in Northwest Arkansas, and, and the last seven years in Northwest Arkansas that we spent was actually on staff at a church uh, called Key Point Church in, in Bentonville. And uh, Pastor Casey Hennigan is uh, my overseer still, and is still my pastor, and that was the pastor that I was serving in Northwest Arkansas. But I was a musician, you know, so swore I'd never pastor. I mean, that was just never something that I was like, I don't want to do that. God don't ever thank you. Amen. And so always a worship pastor helping, you know, pastors launch churches. And so we spent seven years on staff with, with uh, Casey there at key point and 2011 rolled around and man, we just, we just solidified buying a house a couple years prior. We were putting roots down. Our kids were getting into teenage years and I was finally vocationally doing what I wanted because there's a difference between vocational ministry and uh, full-time ministry, right? We have full-time is like, yeah, we're all full-time ministry. You know, I get my, but I was getting my paycheck through ministry. So I was vocationally finally a worship pastor doing what I wanted to do. You know, a key point had a, this amazing growth spurt and we went to two campuses pretty quick. And so had a, had a great team. And, um, but 2011 rolled around and we were doing a 19 day fast and on day or a 21 day fast. And on 19 day 19, um, I just felt like the Holy spirit said, don't get too comfortable. This isn't it, you know, made it very clear that there was something after this, 
uh, at, at key point. And so I just put it in the back of my head and I said, you know, all right, God, if you're speaking, you're going to confirm this and I don't have to worry about your, about it. You're going to make it clear. And so five months later, my wife and I are at the gym, uh, and working out, you know, you know, we're getting into our middle age time to get on elliptical. And uh, so we're working out and all I hear is the word move. Like it just hit my mind, my heart, my soul is just resounding move, move, move. And so I kept trying to put it off and wondered if God was telling me I was fat because he was like, you know, you're not moving fast enough on that elliptical. That wasn't it. I, uh, I knew he was, he was putting something in our heart. And so I, I, you know, I reached, I didn't know what it was, but I reached over and I pulled the earbud out of my wife's ear and I said, Hey, all I can hear is the word move. And she goes, well, what does that mean? I said, I, I don't know, but I feel like it's geographical. Like, I mean, it's, and so I told God on the way home from the gym in May of 2011, uh, that I'm not going to tell my kids, you're going to tell them, you know, if you're moving me to, you know, we didn't know what it was, but if you're moving me away from what we're doing, I don't want to be that father that goes to them and says, daddy has a great idea. Not at this season of our life, you know, not with our kids being in, in going into high school and, and having a home and everything's rooted. And, uh, and so I got home, I called all our, all our kids together and I, and I just said, are you praying? Cause God likes to speak. That's all I told him. And so I get up the next morning, not thinking anything about it, went to work and Sarah gets all the kids at the, the table and says, you know, have you been doing what my wife got? I got all the kids at the table and said, are you doing what daddy asked you to do? Are you praying? And my oldest daughter at the time, Hannah, uh, I think she was almost 15 and she was 14 at the time. And she said, we're going to move. I mean, not even 24 hours. And there's a lot of words in the English language that could hit her mind and her heart. But in that 24 hour span of time, the Holy Spirit had, had told her that, that we're going to move. And so I didn't tell the kids what we were doing. My wife basically tried to pick her jaw up off the ground and, and she left the room and called me from the other room and said, you're not going to believe what Hannah said. And so, uh, we go on vacation. I told God, so not only are you going to tell my kids, but you're going to talk to me through my pastor. You're going to talk to me through people I know, uh, that I haven't talked to in a long time. And you're going to talk to me through people that I haven't even met. So I put a lot of, you know, wait on God to, to make this thing very clear, whatever it was. Cause we still didn't know as a church. And if you if you'd have told me that I'd have probably laughed in your face and, and discounted it. But so we go on vacation in July and we go to Omaha, Nebraska to see some friends of ours. And, uh, I'm about to go out on a run and my phone goes off and it's, it's somebody who I hadn't talked to in about, you know, two decades. And, uh, I grew up with him in Peru. And, uh, so he, he says, this is what he says. He, he, there was no preface. He just says, Joel, I got up this morning and I was in prayer and God told me you're going to be in transition. What's going on? And I'm like, dude, what in the world is going on? I hear, I hear, don't get comfortable in January. I go to the gym, minding my own business. And, and I hear the word move. And then my daughter doesn't even know what we're talking about. And then she's 14. And the next day she says, move. And, and now I'm getting texts from people who I haven't talked to in, in 20 years. And, uh, so then we, we, at that point I said, God, you know, you, you know, seriously. And you know how you, you want God to confirm it to a greater degree? Like it's not already confirmed. Right. And so I, I started praying a very specific prayer. I said, God, if you're telling me this season is over at key point, 
I need you to tell me specifically that the season is over. And so we go to Colorado Springs to see some other friends of ours. And that was actually the first night of a big youth conference that was going on at their church. And so we, we attended and I was actually leaving And this lady that I was sitting next to, all I had time to do before the service started was literally reach out my hand and say, hi, I'm Joel. And that was it. That's all she, she knew about me. And so I'm walking out of this building and she taps me on the shoulder and she goes, Hey, I don't think, I hope you don't think this is weird. And I said, in my mind, I'm thinking, just try me. You don't have no idea how this year's going. So, uh, I said, uh, sure. What, you know, what, what do you have? And she goes, I, I hope you don't think that this is weird, but during worship, I felt like I should write this down for you. And she pulls out this piece of paper that's folded in half and she hands it to me. And so um, I didn't look at it immediately. We're saying goodbye to friends. I'm like, thank you so much. God bless you. I'm like, this lady's crazy. And so I'm walking out to the parking lot and I take this piece of paper out and I open it up and it says, Joel, you've been faithful and obedient. This season is over. Don't overthink the next step. Just trust me. And so literally everybody's leaving the conference. Everybody's excited. Everybody's high-fiving each other. Woo. That was such a great night. And I'm bawling. Like what's wrong with that guy? Why is he, why is he just, he's openly weeping in the middle of the parking lot, you know, <laughs> oh, just, I need, I'm repenting right now. And so, so anyway, uh, I told Sarah at that point, we were coming home from vacation. I said, we need to talk to our pastor. And so, um, fast forward the story and, we had, there's so much to the story, but we, uh, got with him and I was walking into, uh, a meeting with him. And, and before this meeting happened, it was actually September of 2011 that I was, I was five minutes from the house and we listen, Virginia, we only knew one couple here. We had never even stepped foot on Virginia soil until 2009 to come see this, this, uh, these friends that we had in Virginia. And, uh, so in 2009, you know, a couple of years prior to 2011, uh, when all this was starting to happen, we were out here to visit them for just a couple of weeks. And while we were here, they were like, God wants to do something in Virginia. And I was like, well, I'm not moving out here. Like I'll pray for somebody to come out here, but I'm not coming out here. I mean, there was no way it wasn't in the plans. It wasn't in the cars. So that was the experience in 2009, only time we've been to Virginia. And, uh, that was the conversation we had. So fast forward back to September of 2011, you know, after we come off vacation, you know, we're, we're starting to get ready to talk to our pastors and, uh, I'm five minutes from the house and I had no idea what it was that God was working. So put yourself in this situation from January to, to now September, God is saying all these things, but you have no idea what it is. And so we've waited nine months to even, you know, so I said, God, you're gonna have to tell me, let me in on what's going on. And so I went back on a fast and that was, that was, uh, this was day two when I was five minutes from the house, I was driving home and September uh, 14th and I, I get to the house. Um, and as I'm, I'm pulling into the house, the peace of God hit that car like it was tangible. It was like the atmosphere in the car changed that, you know, when God's about to speak to you <laughs> and he said, it's a church and it's in Virginia. And it was as clear as yeah, it was, that was it. It was as clear as anything I've ever heard God impress. I didn't hear it audibly, 
but it was impressed. Like, it was just clear. It's a church in Virginia. And so I walk in, I look at my wife. I said, listen, can we truly rule out that we're not called to plant a church? And, you know, we had talked about it several times because we didn't know what God was doing. But every time we talked about it, we're like, no way. I don't want to pastor. It's not what I'm called to do. Let's not even entertain it. And so I didn't tell her what I sensed in the car, what God said, but I said, can we, can we truly rule out that God's not you know, calling us to plant a church? And she looked at me and we hadn't talked about Virginia in years. And she goes, if we do it, it has to be in Virginia. And I was just like, what? You know, okay. All right. I said, well, let me tell you what God told me in the car. And, uh, so, uh, I, we finally get to this meeting with the Pat, with my pastor. And, uh, before I walk into this meeting, Sarah goes, this is what I want Casey to tell you. If it's God, I was like, sure. We've thrown out so many fleeces. Let's just throw out another one. And, uh, she goes, Casey needs to tell you he already knew. And he was just waiting for you to figure it out. And I said, sure. All right. So, so I, I go into this meeting with Casey and I'm like, listen, man, here's all the things that have been going on. Look at this piece of paper. I mean, we're like, he's reading the notes and he's just getting into it and, uh, you know, getting, uh, uh, caught up to speed with the story. And he says, Joel, can I tell you two things? I said, sure. He goes, well, number one, uh, you're, you have a gift. He used the word a gift in music. And so when I'm like, whenever somebody uses the word a gift, you're like, all right, maybe that's not what, you know, not that I was horrible. I mean, he kept me on staff for seven years. So, but it was one of those things where he says, your main gift is in people. And then he said that secondarily, he said, I've always seen it. I was just waiting for you to figure it out. And he said, if you remember back in 2008, so as we rewind before this family that we came out to visit in 2009, they were actually at key point in 2008. So that's how we knew them. He said in 2008, when they left for Virginia, I told you years ago that you should go to Virginia and plant a church. And I remember he said that, but I had suppressed it so far out of my mind, I laughed in his face. And so I remember laughing in my pastor's face. So at that point, um, you know, then, then, then I, I told God, Nehemiah went with money and people and I have neither of those. So, uh, that's what I need. It got, you know, now that my pastor knows and he's behind us, you know, going to plant a church, you know, we needed, you know, over a hundred thousand dollars and we need people. And so four families from key point uprooted with us. I mean, people with dogs and babies and mortgages. And they said, we're going with you. And I said, you know, I can't pay you. Right. I don't even know if I'm going to get paid. <laughs> you know, I, there's no job in Virginia, by the way, that I'm going to like, this is just a let's trust Jesus step 22 hours away. But, you know, September 16th of 2012, we launched church at Hampton Roads uh, and uh, 17 people said yes uh, to launch that with us. We had four months to build a launch team, which was uh, incredibly short. And we just parachuted in and trusted Jesus, least least uh, a thousand square, a thousand seat auditorium and went for it. And so eight years later, here we are trusting God. So that's a little bit about my life story. Yeah. <laughs> It is. That's yeah. It's great though. So, I mean, how's the church today? And I mean, it, everything is so smooth and I mean, you've never had any issues. I mean, everything has just been, <laughs> yeah. yeah, man, <laughs> our people are perfect, man. We, we have no issues whatsoever. Uh, church, you know, church has been just, it, it's been incredible. Um, COVID really kind of changed the landscape of everything. So 
obviously with being with the ARC, the association related churches, we were doing the model of being in a high school. And so we had started in a high school and as of the beginning of this year, before COVID hit, um, in a major way, we were meeting at Oscar Smith high school uh, here in Chesapeake and, uh, you know, 230 people and, and, uh, doing just thriving. And, and, and the interesting thing was, is when COVID hit, uh, we never saw, I mean, I was hearing horror stories of churches closing. I'm hearing horror stories about finances just being cut in half. And by the grace of God, like the culture of our church, we we've actually, we're actually coming out of it stronger financially than when we went in, which is just absolutely stupid. You know, it's, it, it shouldn't happen that way. Uh, uh, but it, 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 it is. And I'm thankful for God's grace on that. But so we went online immediately. So we're just doing online church. And then we started realizing that this isn't going to sustain. We can't just stay online forever. We got to start meeting. And, but we, you know, to, to find a place for 230 people, um, you know, uh, immediately that's, that's a, it's a pretty high task. And so we, at least an annex space is just under 4,000 square feet for our, um, student ministries and office. And it was never meant to house the church, you know, but, uh, we said, well, that's what we've got right now because the school system has canceled all the leases. They send the deposits back. So we need to create community and with what we have, use what you have, where you are, you know, until God gives you more. And so we, we, we started, um, meeting, uh, right after COVID hit early year in the annex. And we've just done, we've just gone to multiple, multiple, multiple services. Cause we can only fit about 70 people in this room and, uh, you know, that we have. And so we're doing four services, you know, just trying, you know, one on Wednesday night and then three on Sunday, you got to register to get in. But here's the crazy thing is that we've had standing room only. Like we're, you know, honestly, we, we, uh, to say we're not really enforcing the, uh, the social distancing rule, um, in Jesus name, that's convictional. You know, we, we have a conviction of just like, listen, you know, we're going to, we're going to be on mission and we're not gonna, yeah, we're, we're just not, you know, I, I don't know if that's right or wrong to say, but our convictions are just like, listen, man, we're going to, we're going to meet, we're going to build, we're going to disciple, you know? And, um, so the mass thing has been, it'd been a convictional thing. So we, we taught our people, like, you know, we spoke about convictions. We spoke about, I spoke about Romans 14 and about how convictions we should allow for convictional issues to be resolved between the individual and God. And so our church has thrived in that, man. We got, we, you know, we've got a small percentage of people wear a mask, which is fine. And nobody's making fun of them. And we have, you know, but we have people that come in without masks. And, and so there's a grace going on in our church and we're growing. Uh, we've, we've had uh, several, several, several new families be even joining during COVID. Uh, so everything's going strong, man. And uh, we have a, we have 15 coordinators that are doing a phenomenal job leading all of our areas, creative teams and, you know, first impression teams and all that stuff. And so, you know, everything's just going smoothly, which is weird to say, and we're growing. And so financially, you know, we've seen just in the last, since August, we've seen over $70,000 transferred into our building fund, you know? And so, you know, we're, we're, we put a deposit down in July on a facility. Uh, we need land to put it on, but by faith, we knew that God was telling us to put a deposit down. So we, we have uh, long vision, you know, it's just, we're, we're stepping, uh, in faith on a lot of areas, but people are rallying. So that's been phenomenal. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I kind of set you up a little bit with that question, uh, just because of when your story is just so incredible and it's so obvious what God was actually doing and worked out the steps. And even when you were asking for very specific things, he provided those things and you know, without a doubt, you were walking in the will of God and moving in the direction he was leading you, but it still hasn't been easy. It has not been easy. No, I mean, we, you, you always have the, you have the people vying for vision, you know, to control the vision. And, uh, you know, our church has not been absent of that. I mean, we were at 18, at year one, we broke 200. I'll tell you this, at year one, we broke 200. And then we had uh, the Gideon revival. <laughs> <laughs> we, we had a, we had a, you know, we, we didn't have the DNA. We, we knew we needed on our staff. And so we, we let go of three staff members within a four week period. And we're just like, I'm starting over because we just don't have what we need. And, um, and we had been as careful as you know, we'd followed all the, you know, being as careful as we, we could have, uh, or, or we could with, with those decisions, um, putting people in, but sometimes you just realize that we're not heading the right direction. And it wasn't anything crazy. It just was like little nuances of, of DNA, like, you know, paying attention to detail, being excellent, being a steward, right? Loving people, honestly, and, and valuing others. And, and so I, I just like, man, we got, this just isn't who we are. And so we, we lost, you know, people were pretty influential. And so they, we lost, we lost probably, we lost half our church. Yeah. Yeah. That was crazy. Yeah. You talk about, you know, you know, breaking 200 on year one by 18 months, we were at two, almost 250. Yeah. And, uh, and then you go back down to 110, yeah. you know, and it wasn't because of any crazy moral failure. It was just literally because you reset the DNA and the people that you had, you know, were carrying a lot of influence and we just, it was just like, you know, at the end of the day, I said, I would much rather this church just completely, you know, go away than to live with a, with a vision that's being set by somebody else. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes you have to make those hard, hard calls. And, mm-hmm. but our, our leadership has grown. We have, we have a campus pastor now that's over this campus. Uh, that's other than me. And that's, that's running the campus. Mm-hmm. And then we have an associate pastor and his wife that are just phenomenal. And we have these amazing 15 coordinators that are just running the show. And so there's a lot of strength in the leadership now that we never had at year three or year two. And so uh, God has blessed us back. And, and so just stay in the game, man. Well, and that, you know, that kind of sets up the next question. I just want you to, to share a little bit about uh, mentioning the intro that you are an author um, and you probably didn't even set out to write a book man, ever. Listen, man, <laughs> listen. I'm, I guess I'm the world's worst at, at seeing where your life is going to end up, you know, because never would I have thought I would be a pastor. And my mom will tell you, I never even liked reading. So why would God choose me to write a book? Well, yes, that's up to him and I'm gonna leave that up to him. But around 2016 and 17, I, I was, so you come out of the church story that I just mentioned and the fear that comes along with, well, you know, are we going to have to go back with our tail between our legs, you know, because of, you know, fear just setting in and you lost half of your trail. What's going to happen now? And you just, you just, 
And then you're dealing with, well, you know, personal failure, you know, personal failures in the fact, well, you're taking all this onus of, well, was it me? And you, you got all these things, you know, is, is the church in this position because I chose the wrong, and you just constantly, what if I hadn't done that? And, and how could I have avoided this? But then you're taking all that weight on yourself and a lot of fear, a lot of fear, uh, hits you, hits all of us. Uh, and, and, and we all experience fear. It just depends on which window it's going to climb into your life, you know, through, you know, you have a window that, that it's going to try to come in. And, and so, but really, uh, so I, I got tired of being a punching bag for fear personally, you know, in my life, I was like, you know, well, you're always going to, you know, be this way. You're always going to struggle with this. You're, you're, you're never going to break out of that. Uh, you can't overcome this. So just, you know, and so I, all the things that hit all of our minds about who we used to be and who God's calling us to be. And so I was personally, uh, working through that and just tired of giving into fear. And so, but then I was also getting tired of looking in people's eyes. I'm like, are we not the people of God? Are we not the ones that God says we're more than conquerors and we're victors and that we have hope. And, and Roman says this hope does not disappoint. And that hope is an anchor for our soul. But when I look around at the, at some of the Christian, I'm not going to broad stroke everybody, but some of the Christians that, that I am. And, and sometimes sadly, most of the Christians that I'm looking in their face, I, all I see is insecurity. I see fear, I see anxiety. I'm like, God, where is this where is this posture of walking into a room, knowing who you are, that you are a son of the most high God and that you're, you know, you have authority. I mean, Luke 10, 19 says that he's given us all authority over every work of the enemy, all authority. He's given us all authority over every work. And I'm like, why do I not see that plastered on the face of, of those who believe in God? And, and sadly it is, I think a lot of people have information about God, but they don't, they don't truly believe. Um, and I'll get to that, por- that portion, um, of scripture is really what, uh, is one of the backbones, uh, revelation, uh, a backbone, a revelation that's a backbone of really what caused me to write this book. So in John chapter eight, it says this, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. It's not the verse. It's not what it says. And people quote it all the time, but they quote it partially. And so I was struggling with, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. And so you have Christians that will plaster. They can tell you more scripture they have more scripture memorized and they will put it on their rearview mirror. They'll put it on their you know, refrigerator. It's written on their mirrors when they're getting ready. But yet those people live in more, you know, fear and anxiety sometimes. Uh, and, and I was just like, even myself, I, I came up in a Christian home. My dad had me memorize more scripture than I can count. If, if the truth sets you free, then why am I not free? I know truth. The problem is we, we haven't quoted the whole scripture. So as you back up, it says this, if you hold to my words. And so when you understand, you have to get the whole verse in there. You now understand why so many Christians live in bondage and they go to church. They know the word of God, but it's information only. And, and, and the holding comes when belief is enacted, right? And so if you hold to my words, he says this, then you will be my disciples. And then you hear all those conditional words in there. 
if you hold to my words, then you will be my disciples. And then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Right. And so I was, I came to this book going, okay, this revelation about freedom in my case from fear was the fact that I need to hold to God's word. And, and it doesn't say no God's word. It says hold to it. And so in those moments when you're bombarded, you know, it's a, it's like somebody carrying a football, you know, and if they can make you fumble that football, you know, bondage sets in. If, if, if you're not going to hold to what God has said in that moment, then, then freedom's going to be a far off. And so go bold, uh, came out of, yeah, looking in people's faces and just going, man, we need, we need to understand where courage comes from and, and how to deal with fear. And so, um, but go ahead. I just, I love the story and I don't want our listeners to miss. So you had time after time after time, you were asking God for very extremely um, specific things and he's delivered them time and time and time again. So when you made that move, there was no question, no question. And then you hit a series and a season of fear of discouragement, yeah. of you name it, of failure, all of it. And, and I feel like so often when we receive a direct call, I just feel like there's a misconception over us all that things are going to be smooth. And God never promised that. No. He never promised that. But for some, some, sometime along the way, yeah. that entered into our head. And I, I, I'm sure it's a little target of the enemy to do that. But... And then this book comes out. Yeah. It's and the title of it is is Go Bold. You're next in line to do great things. And so, like this is, it, it, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's this is coming out of a season of this fear and of this failure and of this, you know, right? Well, yes, and, and it also comes. It's a compounding of failure in my life. So, like back when I was, uh, you know, newly married, dude. I had anger issues. I mean, I'd throw phones through walls, you know, things would be broken and never hit my wife. But man, you just, you know, thank God we're celebrating 25 years of marriage in January. But so all my personal failures, I was addicted, you know, uh, you know, to things I shouldn't be addicted to in my twenties. And, and uh, so I had experienced a lot of failures. And so all that, all that stuff. And then, then the failure of the church. And so you just feel failure. Right. And, and, uh, and so fear, fear begins to set in, but I think the biggest thing to understand is that, and so the book has 12 principles of boldness. And the first principle, uh, in chapter one is that you can choose at any point to live and think bold. You know, you don't have to conform to who you were yesterday. And I think that is the biggest piece that started to free me because in my twenties, through all these failures, and even as a pastor that was experiencing, you know, what seemed to be a failure, uh, you, you have to, you have to be able to have courage and step through those moments and step through failure. And so one of the things that I write in the book is, is the fact that, you know, we oftentimes assume that being bold means being fearless, right? The word fearless. I don't think that's an, a possibility. Everybody experiences fear. The question is, can you set your emotions and your feelings aside and step through fear? Cause that's what you have to get good at, right? To, to say, Hey, you know, be fearless. I don't know that it's a possibility. 
right? The enemy's always going to hit you with that onslaught of fear. Um, but that's why we have the armor of God, right? Because it's coming. And so I think people set them themselves up, uh, for failure emotionally, mentally, when they have these expectations that everything's going to go well. And so whenever fear sets in, they feel like they're doing something wrong or that, uh, you know, uh, they're doing something wrong or, uh, this thing's going to overwhelm them. But I think, I think, or, or, or that they're not quite the Christian that they need to be right? Because they're experiencing fear. But I think fear is going to be present. The question is, can you step through it? I think that's why God told Joshua, be strong and courageous, right? And so I I think fearlessness is is a impossibility. I think that you'll have to learn how to step through and equip yourself to realize that no matter what failure I've had, or what circumstance I'm facing, that I have the choice to step through it, and that I can step through it and that I will step through it and God's going to be faithful in it. And so I think once you understand that it's just this, it's a picture that's painted by the enemy, you know, whatever that picture of fear looks like for you, um, to be bold is to be able to step through that and to not allow that to influence your decision-making. Right. And so at any point, and that's what I realize is that, you know, when you get in the routine of getting down on yourself, in making bad decisions, I, I think people can get into a rut where they just always, they come up to the Y in the road and they're sitting there going, well, I've always gone left. I've always failed. You know, this is what I've always done. And, and you just default to go left, right? Because that's the routine of your life. And to be able to break out of that and actually live a faith-filled life is to realize, I realize that when I come up to that Y, it's, as, it's, it's, it's the same amount of distance to lean right and to choose a different path than to choose the path of fear. Uh, or failure or whatever. And so, um, you don't have to be locked into, you know, how, how you handled situations yesterday. You don't have to be locked into what people said about you. You don't have to be locked into how you've looked at yourself over the last 20 years. You can change, you know, you can change. And so I think that's the biggest, um, you know, message I, I want people to understand is that your past does not dictate who you are today. Yeah. You know, do you have one particular chapter in the book that really just stands out when you were writing it? You know, I, I thought about that today and, um, there's, uh, principle eight. Uh, I love each chat, each chapter and every principle has a quote. And, um, I, I think I came up with this one, yeah. but anyway, uh, the principle for, uh, for chapter eight is boldness doesn't bow to barriers you know, or, you know, the bold don't bow to barriers. And so I just put the bold act when others won't, you know, when others aren't going to act, it's only the bold. And when you think about it, you know, think about Stephen, you know, in the book of acts, it says that, you know, Stephen was the first martyr, right. And he, and they, they said, Hey, choose men among you full of faith. And, and here's the funny part about, about this. I mean, Stephen was bold. I mean, think about what Stephen did. He stood up and he's preaching and that he got them so frustrated that they're literally stoning him. He's the first martyr. Right. And, uh, but I love that Stephen is the only one that gets a, des- a descriptor. It says Stephen full of faith. Do you remember the other men in acts, right? It says choose seven men among you. Right. Nobody remembers the others. No. Yeah. And so history will forget those who, who don't live by faith. Right. And so, so it says Stephen, a man full of faith, he gets the descriptor and he acts 
but then the other men are forgotten. And, and so I, you know, I think about that. I'm like, man, I don't think anybody knows the other men's names. So I challenge people to go look them up, you know, but, uh, but in principle eight, it says boldness doesn't bow to barriers. And I'll just read you the first paragraph. It says, uh, it is the bold who will act the courageous that will step those who allow themselves to remain crippled by the spirit of fear, do nothing great. Those who allow the cycle of negative what ifs to rule their mind become stagnant in life. What if I step out and fail? What if I take the risk and look foolish? What if I attempt what is in my heart and do not have what it takes to succeed? The merry-go-round of doubt in our minds is deadly. Sadly, most people are caught in this web of doubt, but they are not alone. And I remember, I love this portion. It says, do you realize, this is on uh, page 96, but it says, do you realize Moses, the man who led Israel out of Egyptian slavery is not here anymore? Where's the mighty biblical warrior Gideon? Where are the original disciples who did such great works and changed the course of history for the whole world? They're gone. Who's left? Who's alive right now that God wants to use in the same ways? You. Remember, God doesn't play favorites. He did not elevate and give power to some just so that the rest of us could look at them and go, wow, they're special. No, he did it because he's wanting to show you what he can do with you. You need to get it in your heart and in your mind today that you, you have the same access to God that Moses did, that Gideon did, and the great prophet Elijah did. Nothing is holding you back except the choices you will make in regards to how you will live. Are you going to live by faith or going to live by sight? Meaning you decide how you will step according to how you see the problem and how you see your ability. If you walk by how big the obstacles are, you will never get out of the gate. But if you decide to see how big your God is, to know nothing is impossible to those who believe, to know that he will be with you as he was with the great men and women of the Old Testament, then you will become an unstoppable force in a world that desperately needs you to engage. So. Well, what great words for this time and place and season. Absolutely. I think, I think fear is actually growing with, with COVID. I mean, I, the, the atmosphere of fear is just taking over. It's hitting a lot of people. And I think that, uh, it's, it's something that we have to address, you know, in the church. It is. We're not comfortable anymore. Right. I think it's a good thing. I think it's a good thing. I think God shaking up some things is actually a good thing because it, it makes us, you know, people are saying, well, well, COVID's making people fall away from the church. I'm like, no, I think COVID is revealing who is the church. That's great words, man. And uh, I'm looking forward to reading your book. I haven't read it yet. I'm looking forward to reading it. Um, Absolutely. So, I brought you a copy. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. So how, um, you know, if someone's listening to this, how can they get it? Yeah, man, go to Amazon and just type in Go Bold. That's it. You know, uh, look for Go Bold on Amazon.com and, and uh, you'll find it there. And I think it's like $12.99 right now. So, you know, um, but I just think that it's it's important that uh, without faith is impossible to please God. 
And so faith has to be, and faith comes from what? Hearing. And so, so we have to know who we are and who God is. And, and as we settle those things in our heart, I think that the, the things that we deal with on a day-to-day basis begin to just fall away and fall off. You know, we don't experience life like everyone else. I feel kind of odd because I'm walking through life right now, having different experiences on a day-to-day basis. Um, my stress levels are different than the world's. And I think, I think there should be a difference in, in a Christian's life as to the things that you experience as opposed to what the world is experiencing because your perspectives are totally different or they should be. Yeah. yeah. But nothing's impossible, man. That's good. Well, Joe, I can't thank you enough for taking time to just share your heart, share your story, uh, share about the book. Um, and I just want to encourage all you listeners out there, go get this book. Uh, it's Go Bold um, by Joel Brown. Pick it up. Um, and uh, I know you won't be disappointed in getting it. And just let the words uh, that the Lord did in this great man, uh, let the words speak to you. Um, and, and the Father speaking to you through this book. And so it's it's going to be directed towards the readers that are reading it. And so, yeah. Well, you know when you're writing a book and, and you stop to proof the previous chapter and you break down and start – uh, crying just to, because of the revelations that the God, I mean, I was just like, I'm not writing this book. I knew, I knew that God was doing it. And it, cause when I went back to read it, it was like, I was reading something that was ministering to me and I'm like, okay, this is the, this is the spirit of God. <laughs> cause Joel Brown, Joel Brown is not that good. <laughs> Well, thanks for taking time yeah, to man. share some encouragement you. with you and uh, uh, you listeners out there. Thank you so much uh, for continuing just to listen to our podcast. And uh, we do. Our prayer is that this will bring you great encouragement um, and some insight um, and hopefully encouraging you. And if you're on the verge of just quitting, if you if fear and failure is gripping you, be bold and continue just to take a step forward. Absolutely. There, there's, there's a line that the book end, ends with, and I think this is, this is the place of hope. You can, even if you haven't yet. That's good. You can, even if you haven't yet. And that's the one line that when I wrote that in that book, that has just lodged itself in my heart to tell other people, yeah. is that you can, even if you haven't yet. Thanks again for listening in. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. For any and all resources provided by the E-Team, please visit us online at eteam-inc.com.